0: Happy July 4th. It's time to celebrate America. Hi, I'm Byron Tyler. Today we're going to hear a message to America from 87-year-old Dan Johnson. But before we hear
1: from Dan, let's join the choir of First Assembly Memphis under the direction of my friend
0: Bob Gabehart with some reflections from people who contributed from the very beginning to this great nation, blessed by God, that we call America.
1: The song of the American patriot echoes down the corridors of history and resounds from sea to shining sea. It has been sung by presidents and statesmen, by soldiers and farmers, by those whose names we remember and celebrate, but even more often, by many whose names we don't even know. My name's Isaac Potts. I'm a simple Quaker farmer. I lived in Valley Forge, that bleak winter when the ragtag army of American patriots suffered and died, all too often without adequate shelter, many without shoes, and most without food. I was out riding one morning when I heard a low voice coming from the woods. I tied my horse to a sapling to see who it was, and to my astonishment, it was George Washington. He was on his knees, with his sword in one hand and his cocked hat in the other. He was beseeching God for help and protection over his armies. Oh, such a prayer I'd never heard from the lips of a man before. That night I told my wife that I didn't know it possible for a man to be both a soldier and a Christian. But if there was one man in this world, it was Washington.
0: I'm James Hillhouse. In 1774, I wrote to a Yale classmate saying, Liberty is our reigning topic. which calls for everyone to exert his talents and abilities to the utmost in defending it. Now is the time for heroes. A few years later, my friend, who had become an army captain by then, infiltrated enemy lines to discover much-needed information for General Washington. He was soon captured and condemned to death without a trial. At the gallows, my friend Nathan Hale declared, My only regret is that I have but one life to lose for my country.
2: I
1: was born the daughter of a pastor. In 1893, I had been on extended holiday when I visited Pikes Peak in Colorado. That night, I told my traveling companions that many countries had failed because although they may have been great, they had not been good. I said, unless we are willing to create greatness with goodness and her bounty with brotherhood, our beloved America may go the same way. My name is Catherine Lee Bates, and I wrote the words to one of our nation's best loved
2: hymns, America the Beautiful.
1: The words of patriots remind us of our blessings. They warn us of the consequences of taking liberty for granted. And they urge us to willingly and courageously take up the mantle left to us by those who have sacrificed so that we could be free.
0: in a little town in North Dakota. I was both fascinated and curious the first time I visited New England, the cradle of the Republic. I was intrigued by the harbors and hills and rolling countryside, the quaint villages and bustling cities. I sought out the old churches, visited historic sites, drove the back roads, pawed through the libraries. I knew we were a nation bound by ideas and a set of values, but where did those ideas originate and what was the birth of those ideas and those values? I wanted to know, where did those tap roots of the national enterprise come from? Russell Kirk once said, a people uninterested in their history may cease to have a history or to remain a nation. And I was curious. I probably read thousands of columns of print in those days, and I I came upon a book by W. Cleon Skousen. With a name like that, it's got to be good. The book was called The 5,000-Year Leap. After a great deal of study and research, Skousen identified 28 foundation stones in this great republic, undergirding our foundation. And perhaps... All 28 could be summed up in the first one. A free people cannot survive under a Republican Constitution unless they remain virtuous and morally strong. That's very interesting. The word freedom, freedom. Those hardy souls who came across the Atlantic in little wooden boats came for freedom. Not just freedom of religion, but freedom period. Freedom from kings and despotic regimes and bureaucracy I came for freedom. The words on the Liberty bell in Philadelphia, do you know what they are? Proclaim liberty through all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Leviticus 25:10, right out of the Bible. That's who we are. We came here for freedom. Now here's a very interesting thing. never in the history of the earth. Has a nation been established with the sole purpose of embracing human freedom? You think about that. Never. So we are a nation conceived in liberty, not an accident of history. We know who we are and why we're here. We built a city upon a hill, poured tea in Boston Harbor, took a midnight ride with Paul Revere and fired the shot heard round the world. We fought at Lexington and Concord to be free. A few years ago, Oss Guinness wrote a book entitled A Free People's Suicide. Osk Guinness is not an American, but he loves his country and has studied its roots and its history. And in his book, he talks about America's golden triangle. Freedom requires virtue. Virtue requires faith. Faith requires freedom. Absent those, you don't have a country. Virtue. I just made up a definition of virtue. Just made it up. Check it out. Virtue is the wisdom to know the difference between right and wrong, and the moral capacity to choose that which is right. And those early Americans who came before us were convinced that only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. To state it negatively, no longer virtuous, no longer free. John Adams, in a letter to a cousin, wrote, the foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. Virtue. What that means is that if you can't self-govern, someone will govern for you. And that's a principle. We teach our children about delayed gratification, whatever that means. And that's what they say, whatever that means. Edmund Burke long ago warned if a Protective power is not placed somewhere upon will and appetite. We're in trouble. He said a protective power must be placed upon will and appetite, and the less of it there is within, the more there is without. If you don't govern yourself, big government will do it for you. You see that? And then he said it is ordained in the eternal constitution of things that men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. Education was a priority in those early days. In fact, it was mandated. And every child in early America was educated in their home. Or in a church, school, or community school. Not from some far-off, distant, bloated department of education somewhere. Because they were very concerned about what their children learned. And the primary thing was morality. That's where it started. Pretty smart, weren't they, right? And I hold in my hand the first textbook in America's schools right here. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, James Madison... Every one of them read this book right here. This book, first published in 1690, in fact, was used in our schools up until the 1900s in this country. And the amazing thing about it is this book is all Bible. It's all Bible. Man is sinful. Christ died for your sins. The gospel's printed in this book. Those students learned the alphabet with a Bible verse after every letter. I'm not quoting from the New Testament. In fact, I don't read well, so I'll just make it up. A, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. C, confess your faults one to another. D, depart from evil and do good. E, accept a man be born again. That's what they learned. Wouldn't it be something if we had something like that in our schools today? Yeah? No? You say... You say, what's the big deal about this book? I'll tell you what the big deal is. You don't come out of a prayer meeting or a Bible study to assault a passerby, hijack his car, beat up his wife, or rob the convenience store. Let me give you that in plain vanilla. You're driving down I-40, and somebody comes up alongside. They're going pretty fast, and they bump into you. And that makes you mad. And you share little gestures you didn't learn in Sunday school. And then you take out your gun and you shoot him. He's dead and you go to prison for 30 years and you do that enough times and you just lost your country. Because freedom cannot survive without virtue. Number two, virtue requires faith. There must be some underpinning. Thomas Jefferson believed in faith. Although he was not what you might call an orthodox Christian. He was a religious man, a student of the scriptures, but he found fault with some of the teachings of the New Testament, but he never missed going to church on Sunday morning. And when he was president of the United States, he would get up and he would walk several blocks to where the church met in the House of Representatives. And one morning, he leaves the White House with his big red prayer book under his arm and a fellow says, well, which direction are we headed today, Mr. Jefferson? He said, the church. Church, he said, you don't believe a word of it. To which the president replied, no nation has ever yet existed or been governed without religion, nor can be. And he said, the Christian religion is the best religion ever given to man. And I, as the chief magistrate of the nation, am duty bound to give it the sanction of my example. Good morning, sir. He believed in the importance of faith. You see that? Alexis de Tocqueville, that French aristocrat who came to this country in 1840, looking for the secret of the genius and greatness of this young country, young country, already the envy of much of the world. And he went home and he wrote about it. De Tocqueville couldn't get over how these Americans insisted on religion. And they're concerned about the morals of their people. Do you see that? And he wrote, I do not know if all Americans are sincere in their religion, for who can know the human heart? I am certain that they hold it to be indispensable to the maintenance of Republican institutions. Do you see that? Tocqueville and others sought for the genius and greatness of America in her commodious harbors and ample rivers and fertile fields and boundless forests and rich mines and vast world commerce, but they couldn't find it until they went into the churches where they heard the pulpits aflame with righteousness. You see that? Freedom requires virtue, and virtue requires faith. And in his farewell address, George Washington said, Of all the dispositions and habits that lead to political prosperity... Religion and morality are indispensable supports. And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. And number three, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Faith requires freedom. Bill of Rights, number one. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Two phrases. The first one, no problem. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if you worship God or gods. If you worship God or gods with smoke and mirrors or holy water and candles. They don't care so long as you do it at home. Remember that commercial, don't leave home without it? Now we come to that second phrase, prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's where the rub comes. Now listen very closely to what I'm going to say. An increasingly hostile world system hostile to Jesus the Bible and the gospel says we don't care how much you worship God if you hang from the chandeliers or stand on your head they don't care about any of that so long as you leave home without it you see you get up seven o'clock in the morning to go down to the bank or you go to the school don't take your faith with you you understand what I'm saying This is the battle we're facing. I don't mean to spoil your 4th of July barbecue, my friends, but we are this close to losing this freedom in this country. In our country, when a witness is sworn in before some committee in the Congress, they say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And for a 100 years, they added, so help me God. God today is persona non grata. God has not evolved and kept up with the culture, and he's not too bright anymore. So as much as possible, turn the cross over, leave it at home, take it off your lapel. If the coach has a private prayer on the field after a winning game, he's going to lose his job, not because he's trying to impose it on somebody else, but because this world does not love Jesus. And so the other day, somebody was sworn in and said, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, And they stopped. And a congressman sitting there said, what about those four words? And Mr. Nadler of New York, chairman of that particular committee, said, we don't have a religious test. And we don't. And the New York Times reported that Congressman Steve Cohen said, God belongs in religious institutions, in monasteries, churches, cathedrals, mosques, but not in Congress. I was so blindly stunning and arrogant, forgive me. I was breathless when I saw that. I don't know how many would agree with Louisiana Congressman Graves who said, we could do with a little more God in Congress, not less. No, no, we, we don't need God in Congress. So, so, so what we're going to do, we're going to put God in a box. We're going to put him in an institution. We're going to put him in a box You worship God in your home, but don't let your faith inform how you live. Leave home without it. Leave home without your faith. No, you can't put God in a box. I'll tell you why. God created the heavens and the earth. He sits upon the circle of the earth, stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. He inhabits eternity. You can't go anywhere, high or low, or east or west, without finding God. Besides everything else, God made the box, I don't know if I should say this, but I wanted so badly to take all of you to lunch today. (laughs) I'm serious. From the pastor to the youngest child in the nursery, I wanted to take you all to lunch to celebrate America. Then I discovered Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. (laughs) Which brings up something very interesting. Chick-fil-A is not popular with a lot of people. You know why? Because Mr. Truett Cathy, who founded the franchise 50 years ago, had a born-again experience with God through Jesus. And his faith informs his life. See that? And so you can't buy a Chick-fil-A sandwich in the airport in San Antonio or in Buffalo, New York or on the campuses of some universities. And one whole city in California is trying to outlaw Chick-fil-A because Mr. Truett Cathy had a personal experience with God through Jesus, and his faith informed how he lived. And that's the test we're facing today. To sum up, freedom requires virtue. We must govern ourselves or we'll be governed by somebody else. Virtue requires faith. Because the principles of the Bible are the groundwork of human freedom, and faith requires freedom. Don't leave home without it. Winston Churchill prepared his own funeral. To the last detail, they would employ the finest Anglican liturgy and sing the great hymns of the English language. And then following the benediction up there in the dome was a bugler who played taps. Taps, it's death, it's over the day is done. That's what we play when we welcome home father and son, body and the flag draped casket from the war. It taps. Then, in a dramatic moment, off on the other side of that dome, was another bugler who played Reveille. It's morning. Get up. Now, my friends, we are not a perfect union yet. As a nation, we have sinned deeply, and we are at the mercy of God. But in spite of our sins, God has blessed us, and I don't think it is inappropriate to set aside a day to celebrate America. Will it be taps or revelry? It will be taps if we call evil good and good evil. God hates evil. Write that down. It will be taps if we celebrate that which from the dawn of history has been condemned in his 1838 Lyceum Lecture, Abraham Lincoln said, If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. If we forget God and forget where we have come from, if we sever our roots and drop the baton in the great relay race of the American story, if we forget the men who scaled the cliffs with grappling hooks, the boys of Ponty Hook, there's a great... American once said, We may spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was like living in the United States when men were free. But I heard our pastor once say, America, we're too young to die. We survived the Boston Massacre, the Civil War, two world wars, the Great Depression, the madness of the 60s, bad politicians, and 9-11. And don't sell this country short. Not yet. But rise up, O men of God have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength unto the king of kings. From the White House to the ranch house, from the voting booths to the prayer chambers, from the legislatures to the marketplace and to the public square, in the church and in the home, let fervent prayers of supplication and intercession reach up and touch the throne of grace. Let thy mantle fall on us. O oh, thou sovereign God of creation and history, we beseech thee one more time, shed thy grace on this land of the pilgrims' pride. Let righteousness prevail. Let freedom ring. My fellow Americans, it's reveille. It's morning. Get up. Get up.
1: the storm clouds gather far across the sea, let us pledge allegiance to a land that's free.